take your seats again and uh, very, very big welcome to everyone again who's here as guests and family and those of you here for the first time as well and for everyone in between. And if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15. And on this Father's Day, uh, I really felt drawn again to some thoughts that we've brought before in this place. But I want to revisit them this morning. And it's from the, the parable that's called the prodigal son. But really it's a parable of the father's love. And we can turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So that's Jesus. They're drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So these, these group of religious leaders at the time wanted to draw near to Jesus, not to know him or follow him, but just to hear him. And in this moment, they saw his love and his compassion for those who they regarded as unlovable to God. And in Luke 15, Jesus replies by telling them three parables, explaining to them the outrageous love of God for people. He tells them the parable of the lost sheep. He tells them the parable of the lost coin. And the parable we're looking at this morning It's called the parable of the prodigal son, but I want to reframe that and actually say it's the parable of the father's love. And so let's start with verse 11. Please bring your Bibles to church, make notes, swim in God's word together. But Luke 15, verse 11, let's start that verse. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, oh, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. 
And he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, oh, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much, God, that we don't have to guess about you. But you've inspired this word to be written. And Holy Spirit of God, breathe life into the words we're looking at this morning. I plead with you, God. You know where everyone's at in this room. You know what people are facing, what people are feeling, what people are are walking through. And I pray, Lord, there may be prodigals in this room. Or or there may be older sons in this room. But you love so much that you brought them here this morning to be reminded of the Father's love for them. And so, Holy Spirit, come and speak to hearts and souls. And Lord, we don't want to leave here uh, the same as we walked in. We want to leave here differently because you've met with us and talked with us. And we love you, God. I thank you you're here whether we feel you or not. But God, I pray for a special anointing now as we look upon your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so I want to, just for, for 20 minutes or so, think about the Father's love. And I want to ask every person in this room, are you enjoying the Father's love. And, and I know this talk will land differently on different people in this room. You may be here and you've got no faith, or you may have another faith, and you're here simply to celebrate with a friend or a family member the fact they're getting baptized. And you are so welcome here. I'm not here to Bible bash you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to pressure you. But what my prayer is that as we consider what the Bible says God is like, you would at least begin to understand why relatively normal people get so excited about the God they know. Because if this is true, maybe you can understand why those of us are so passionate about it. But there are other people here, maybe you made a commitment to Jesus many years ago, and if you're honest, you've lost sight of him. You've lost the passion, you've lost your love for him. Maybe you've forgotten him in the busyness of life. Maybe you're here and and you are a Christian, but in reality, you're a million miles away from where you know Jesus wants you to be. And at times like that, one of the biggest hurdles we need to walk through is, how could I ever come back to God? Is there any way that I can come back to him? What will he do when I want to walk back into a relationship with him? And my prayer is this morning, if there's anyone in that place, that you will be amazed at the outrageous grace of God. That this wouldn't just be theoretical, but this would be burning in your heart as we look at this parable. But there are people here, perhaps, but there's nothing major going on in your life, and you're plodding very well with Jesus. And I want to challenge you. It is so easy for us to become the older son in this parable. It's so easy for a religious attitude to take root in our hearts. And so this morning, I pray the Father's love would just smash any religious spirit in this place too. Because God wants us to be free to enjoy him and swim in grace this morning. So that's where we're heading. 
Hopefully no one now feels they've got any permission to fall asleep. Because this is for you this morning as we look at this parable. And what I want to do is just look at these two sons and then consider the father's love. Because in these two sons we see two obstacles or two attitudes of heart or two positions that disconnect them from enjoying the father's love. The first is a rebellious heart. And this is obvious, isn't it, with the prodigal son. The the first son, he struggled to enjoy the father's love because of his rebellious heart. So in verse 12, let's just think about this story. The, The son comes to his dad and says, give me the share of property that's coming to me. This was an outrageous thing to say in the culture of the day. In effect, he's going to his dad and saying, I'm going to treat you as if you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I hate you, I reject you, I give up on you, I'm going to live my life as though you don't exist. And because you are dead, I now want to receive the inheritance that is mine as though you were dead. That's what he's saying to him in these moments. And we see he just simply runs away, verse 13, and he goes to a far-off country. I've got my suspicions it was Skegness, but who knows? He goes to a far-off country, and he ran away from his father and, and totally blew everything. He squandered his property in reckless living. He spent everything, did whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted. He could not care less. And this son who, who stuck his fingers up to his dad and ran away and squandered everything suddenly finds him place in a place of total dissatisfaction and emptiness. He gets to the point where he's got to live with pigs, which isn't great for a Jewish boy. And, and he's got to even try and eat what they eat. And no one is there to support him, and he feels so alone. And he gets to the point where he knows that he desperately needs something in his life. And he thinks his dad will never take him back. But he, goes, he thinks to himself, I'm going to go back to my dad, but I'm not going back as a son. I'm going back as a slave. And so I'm going to go back to him, and because I know his heart is kind of loving, I'm sure he won't reject me if I'm going to work for him as a servant. And it's better to be a servant and be fed than be in this place of total emptiness and dissatisfaction. And then we see in verses 20 to 24, just five things about the father's love as this rebellious son returns. And friends, you know this maybe, many of you, and I don't care whether you know it in here, Do you feel it and experience this in here? Is this the Father's love for you that you're enjoying in him? Because the five things are glorious. The first thing we see about the Father is his faithfulness in verse 20. I love this. He's incredibly faithful. We just read this little phrase that we can so easily miss. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Oh, he he was on the lookout for his son. Oh, his son had run away, but his dad had not ever given up on him. And he was so hungry and longing for his son to return that he was a long way off, but his eyes were on him. And so he saw him coming. His father's gaze was never off his son. His focus was on him. His heart continually and passionately was open for his son to return. And maybe there's someone here and you need to be reminded of the Father's love for you. His love for you is eternal. He longs for you to return to him. He will never give up on you. He will never shut the the door this side of glory for you. He's saying to you this morning, come back to me. I see you. I've not given up of you. 
You can never be too bad to be outside of the gaze of God. You can never be too boring to be outside the gaze of God. He sees you. And his eyes were on his son. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind that God has his eyes on someone like me. And then the second thing we see about the father, he wasn't just faithful, but he was so filled with compassion in verse 20. He wasn't acting from a sense of duty or obligation. This dad saw his son and he felt compassion. That word in the Greek is a deep, strong, authentic love. It's not a functional love. It's such a deep, genuine, tender, fatherly love. And that's what the father felt for his son as he saw him coming back. The son had done nothing. He hadn't said anything to him at this point. But the father's heart towards his son was compassionate. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind again. That God does not simply think about you, but he feels about you. He doesn't put up with you. He longs for you. He doesn't have some philosophical, academic, oh, there's a register like a school list. He's a father who's filled with compassion for you. And that is something that really humbles me. He's a God who feels deeply for you. He feels love. He feels compassion. He feels pain when you experience the brokenness of this world. He is an emotional God. Don't base your assumption of what God is like on some Christians you meet. Some Christians are so stoic and dry that they make God almost appear to be a distant headmaster in the sky. He's a holy God. I'm not saying he isn't. He's a God who is to be filled with, to draw near in reverence and awe. But he's a God of compassion and love. And he's our father. And his heart burns with love and compassion for you. Characteristic number three is passionate. Father's heart towards you is overflowingly passionate. This would have been shocking for anyone watching this. He ran to his son. Couldn't care less what other people thought. He thought, well, what if the servants see me? What if word gets around of how undignified I am? He could not care less. He couldn't spare another moment away from his son who was returning to him. And he embraces him and he kisses him. And he welcomes him home, not with a big stick to punish him, but with a smile and a hug and a kiss with which to encourage him. And even before the son had said anything, the father was embracing him. I love this. This is the God of the Bible. This is Jesus. That one step towards him and he runs towards you with a heart full of compassion and love. And there's people here this morning, and you don't really believe this. You might have been Christian years. And you're like, mm, oh, good, yeah. But if there isn't something in your heart that is stirred by the reality of a holy, sovereign king who has time for someone like you and loves you, I'm so sorry, but you're not either letting that truth sink into your heart or it's just become a, an academic consent in the head rather than a living reality through the spirit in your heart. And this morning I pray this would erupt in our hearts afresh. You see, God is not lethargic, half-hearted, burnt out. He is full of vibrancy and energy. I have to remind myself every Sunday morning on this. 
As I'm walking in from our house, I'm just saying, God, you're more passionate about this morning than all of us put together. You're not got out of bed the wrong side. You're not going to start in a kind of huffy. He's the king. He's the lion of Judah. He roars. He loves himself. He adores himself. And he wants us to know that adoration of him. And he draws us in to that joy. So I could, I'm trying to stick to time. Apologies. Characteristic number four, forgiving. His amazing grace and forgiveness towards this son. Again, just allow the enormity of the father's love and grace to hit you. The son comes to him in humility and brokenness. This is so important. He doesn't come just expecting and demanding grace. You come to God in humility and repentance. And we come before him with nothing to offer. God owes you nothing. You're not a victim in his eyes. And yet he gives you everything as you cling to him in humility and faith. And the son comes to him with this, this prearranged confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's coming to him with this heart of saying, God, I've got no excuses. I'm not going to blame my family. I'm not going to blame life situations. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I just come as I am. And I say, I need you. And when we come as our father like this, his grace is outpoured upon us. And he reaffirms his son. He gives him a ring, which was like the family credit card of the day. It's incredible love of forgiveness. He, he restores his dignity and worth. He gives him clothes and shoes to wear. He doesn't welcome him back as a slave. He embraces him as a son. And this is the, the love and the grace of God for you. His supernatural patience is mind-blowing. If you are not shocked by grace, you don't understand grace. He owes us nothing, and yet he died and offers us everything in him. And it's all through Jesus. And the fifth thing, you guys still with me? The fifth thing is celebration. I love this. So I make no apologies at all about this church being happy clappy. We're like God when we do that. He's the God who rejoices with singing. But he's also the God who is in the stillness. And we are like that at times, so don't please misjudge us. But this father said, oh, it's nice to have you home. Go and get on with it now. Little handshake. None of that. We're going to have a massive party, the father said to his son. And he bring the fattened calf in, and they celebrated like mad. There was laughter. There was vibrancy. There was a buzz. Loud celebration. And again, I know this isn't a prophetic word, but just in a group this size, there'll be people here this morning and you need to hear afresh the party of heaven over your life. God says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He is the singing God. He's the God of parties. He's the Jesus who after a week-long wedding party turned water into the best wine that week-long rave had ever experienced. He wasn't boring. He was full of life. And that's the God we live for and with. So this is the Father's heart for you. 
And if you're here this morning and you're wondering how you can come back to God, you do what this son did. You just come back in humility and repentance, not pretending you've got anything to give, no excuses. And you just come and you throw yourself upon him and he runs to you and his heart burns for you. But the second son, and this is what I want to finish with, and I'm going, you all right? Everyone's good? I don't know if anything, if anyone had said no, I don't know what I'd do. I've got to stop asking. (laughs) There are people here who are in this position this morning. I really sense this. And I've been in this position in my life. So it's not a judgmental thing at all. I want you to be free this morning from this. But this older son was just as disconnected from the father as the rebellious son. But he was connected because he was religious. He was connected because there were certain things that he felt God owed him because of what he did for his father. And that will develop a heart of bitterness, a hard heart, a a heart of resentment towards others, as we'll see. And I believe there are people in this room who need to be set free from a religious heart. Because this older son, he he served faithfully for many years. He's been so faithful to his father. In verse 29, he says to his dad, look, these many years I've served you. He worked hard. He was committed. He was diligent. He was maybe a home group leader. Maybe he did refreshments. Maybe he preached occasionally. He was in the worship team. He probably did loads of things. Now I'm expanding, obviously. thinking, oh, I didn't see that in the text. But I'm trying to unpack for you. He was so busy for God and is so faithful in what he was trying to do for his father out in the field. He was disciplined and obedient. He he lived a disciplined, self-controlled life. He had a a list of rules and he kept to them and he did them diligently and honoured his father. And now there's nothing wrong with these things. We should serve in the house. We should be disciplined and obedient to God. But unless we're careful, a religious spirit will rise up in us and what will happen is, like this son, will become so self-centered. You see, this religious son suddenly found that it was all about him. It had become all about him in verse 29. Just look at how self-obsessed it had become. I have served you. I have never disobeyed. You never gave me that I might celebrate. It was all about him, and it was all about his performance. His whole confidence with his father was on of his faithful servants and obedience. Verse 29, without any hesitation, he says, I have never disobeyed your command. Wow. And a religious spirit, a religious heart, will always primarily focus on their performance rather than the finished work of the cross. And it's so easy to creep in, folks, especially when we're in a growing church, a vibrant church like this, that that we're so busy, which is good. But the danger is we suddenly find ourselves in a position where it becomes more about us and doing stuff rather than just starting with the love of the Father. And then this religious guy, this religious son, was suddenly full of pride and resentment. In verse 30, the son says, he kind of almost spits these words out through his teeth. When this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, oh, you killed the fattened calf for him. Just, again, just 
enter into what Jesus is saying here. This, this son is filled with anger, bitterness, resentment. Because how could the father show love to such an undeserving person? And a religious person will always be more aware of other people's sin than their own. Oh, they'll love gossiping about how other people are rubbish. But they'll never have the humility to express their own brokenness and their need for grace. And this is where this older son was. He he was deeply offended by grace. He was more preoccupied with serving the father rather than celebrating with the father. And it so easily happens to us. In this moment of hearing a celebration, the son refuses to enter in because it was more about him than it was about the father. And friends, there are people in this room, I think, maybe. And if you're honest, you've become resentful to others who maybe don't do as much than you do. It's a really big deal that it can enter into our hearts and suddenly it becomes about rules and regulations rather than relationship. I love this fact that even when he says, you've never given me a calf, this older son says, so I can invite my friends. <laughs> the father even wasn't even going to be invited. It was like, oh, I just wanted to celebrate with my mates. You're not invited, though. Man, you're too, you've cramped my style. It's what a religious spirit does. He never enjoyed the father, never celebrated with the father because he was too busy. And could it be there's someone here this morning and let's face it, all of us can find ourselves here in this place. doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You were still a son. But it does mean we come and we stop enjoying the intimacy with the Father because we become more religious than relational. And we just see this wonderful picture of the Father's love. In verse 28, he came out and entreated him. Just as he had with the rebellious son, he reached out to his religious son too. He came and pleaded with his son. He didn't give up on him. He pleaded with him. He says, I love you and I'm committed to you. He reminded the son of who he was. He, he starts off by calling him son. You see that in the parable? He says, you are my child. I love you. I accept you. You don't earn my love. You freely receive my love. And maybe Jesus is saying to us this morning, stop trying to make yourself a Christian and simply be a Christian. I hadn't heard Sophie's testimony. She refused to share it with me before this morning. And um, we've made a real effort to protect our kids in this church. And so I think that's more of a natural thing that comes up and rises up all of us. This sense of performance. This sense of needing to be good enough. And the revelation that my gorgeous little girl has got is what I pray every person in this room will receive. He is enough. We're never going to be perfect. And that's why it's amazing grace. And this older son heard the father saying, I'm everything you need. All that I am is yours. All that I am. We're not competing here for God's love. I hope you realize that. We're not like, God's love isn't like a cake and a little bit sectioned off for here, a little bit sectioned off there. God's love is infinite for every person in this room. And there's more than enough love for you. And he asks him, come back, be amazed at my grace. And he says to him, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so I ask you this morning, are you enjoying the Father's love? On this Father's Day 2019, are you maybe like the rebellious son? 
who needs to come back to the Father. Maybe you're like the religious son who needs to come back to the Father. Maybe you're just doing great and you just need to thank the Father. But wherever you're at, I plead with you this morning, connect with him. Maybe you don't believe in him and you think all of this is just like a fairy tale. And like I, when I started, I said, I'm not here to press you and manipulate you. But what I would say is this. I've experienced it, personally. I, I, I've experienced this love. I've been a rebellious son. And God took me home. I've been a religious son. And God is always there for me. And I'm sorry I get emotional, but I'm not sorry, because this is so real for me. And I'm relatively normal. I've got a slightly big brain, not very big. But this is the God that I lived with and for, and I'd love you to know him this morning. And so I'd love us to pray together. And uh, then the band will come up and we'll sing again. But just in the quietness, just between you and God, connect with him. Draw near to him. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 5, 5. God sheds abroad the love, his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And God, this is true whether we feel it or not. If we're putting our faith in you, it's, it's a done deal. It's a fact. But Holy Spirit, I pray in this morning, you would burn this truth in our hearts all over this room. Come, Lord. Come back to him. Come back to him. Come back to him. Stop playing games. Stop playing games. He loves you and he's for you and he's with you. And with this I finish. Jesus says in Revelation, and he's speaking to a group of Christians, a local church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will open that door, I will come in and have fellowship with him. And that's the invitation over every person in this room. Jesus loves you and he's standing at the door. And the question is, will you open the door of your heart and let him in? Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Should we stand? Or if you want to sit, sit.